The Blue Gold Report. Irish reporters Todd Burlidge and Mason Plummer get ready for Notre Dame football game day Saturdays only on 1380 The Fan. Welcome to Blue Gold Report. I'm Todd Burlidge. I'll be your co-host along with Mason Plummer. Mason, we're going to actually have football to talk about. Let me introduce myself first. I'm a contributing writer for Blue and Gold Illustrated. Mason's a staff writer, recently hired staff writer for Blue and Gold Illustrated and BlueandGold.com. He's kind of a recruiting guru. I'm sort of an old school guy. A lot to cover. Obviously, we're going to recap the Duke game. Certainly not a thing of beauty. Certainly no Picasso, but Notre Dame survives and wins 27-13 after a very sluggish start. A couple big plays will break down a big game by Kyron Williams. Want to dive into this eligibility ruling that came out last month by the NCAA. They're going to give all fall sports athletes an extra year of eligibility. It's going to create a lot of headaches and a lot of financial problems. So going to dive into that a little bit. South Florida up next. Supposed to be a nice day out at the stadium. Mason, how are you, man? Doing great, Todd. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, my name is Mason Plummer. You can find me on Twitter at Mason Plummer underscore, like you mentioned. Got the new gig recently at Blue and Gold Illustrated. Finally, co-workers with Todd. It was a long time coming, but really happy to be there. I've got a few pieces published now. I've got a few pieces under my belt. Doing a lot of recruiting work over for BGI, and I'm loving what I'm doing. Uh, excited to start talking about USF, Todd. It's, it's nice to be moving forward, and so far so good that the football season's going to hold up. We'll get into all that shortly, but as we start every show... Gold Rush. Quick injury report heading into South Florida. Braden Lindsey, who did not play wide receiver, speedy wide receiver for Notre Dame, he did not play. He has moved to the top of the depth chart. Ben Skoranek, he will sit out this game with a bad hamstring. He injured that versus Duke. All eyes on Kyle Hamilton, Notre Dame's All-American safety. He's day-to-day. He's been in a walking boot most of this week. I have a feeling he's not going to play. That's just a gut feeling. I don't think they'll need him in this game. Todd, some interesting timing here, but Notre Dame announced during the Duke game that Brian Kelly has signed a contract extension through the 2024 season. Some people are fans of it, some people aren't. I'm sure it's certain to ruffle some feathers either way. For what it's worth, Notre Dame is up to number seven in the latest Associated Press poll. That's mainly because all of the Pac-12 and Big Ten schools dropped out. They were ranked in the preseason. They are ranked no longer. As far as Notre Dame's opponents now, Clemson ranked number one, North Carolina number 12, Louisville, number 18, Pittsburgh, number 25, and this week's opponent, USF, received six poll points. Earlier this week, the NCAA announced the men's hoops start date of November 25th, a little bit later than normal, but it looks all signs are encouraged for a men's basketball season. Former Irish hoop star Enrique Ogunbowale won the WNBA scoring title this year. She plays for the Dallas Wings, and she averaged 22.8 points a game. It was just a short and 22-game season, but she still took the scoring trophy there. She averaged 19.1 as a rookie last season. Rika is not shy to the shot. With her 22.8 scoring average this year, she shot 41% from the field and 34% from threes. I'm done with the 2021 class, but it's looking like it's going to continue to expand and be one of the largest classes we've seen in some time with Notre Dame potentially taking another two or three wide receivers and some offensive linemen potentially as well. Gold Rush. So as we mentioned at the top of the show, slow start in the Duke game, to say the least. First three possessions for the Irish were all three and outs. Looked like the fourth one was going to be as well. Till Brian Kelly pulled a little trick up his sleeve there. Jay Bramlett, the punter, took off in a very dicey part of the field from his own, uh, they were punting from their own 18-yard line and got a first down. That really changed the course of the game. Mason, I was a little bit surprised. Duke really came to play. I'm going to give Duke some credit here. They came to play and showed 
Notre Dame some looks they weren't ready for. A little bit surprised that the Irish were that sluggish. What were your thoughts, especially early on? Yeah, they did come out sluggish. Uh, obviously not ideal to have three three and outs. I actually think that was the play of the game, the Jay Bramblett uh, run on fourth down there. He was a quarterback in high school, so the kid's athletic. He's not a, your average puncher. He, maybe we'll see that more often during the season, though, that he can get it done. And uh, he took a big shot at the end, but that was a good long run from him. Yeah, like you said, Notre Dame came out sluggish. It wasn't ideal, but I think you just got to get those jitters out of the way. And I think they're going to they're gonna be in for a big game against USF. Yeah, I'm seeing that, too. Well, here's Brian Kelly talking about Bramlett's fake punt here. My thought process was, I hope the heck it works. That, that was my, my first thought process. Um, it was there. We saw it on film. We felt like it was there. Um, it was one of those that you needed to call it in, in a very vulnerable area. In other words, when you're backed up. Um, so, you know, Jay's a very good athlete, and you saw that he had to cut back, you know, to make that, um, you know, first down. But felt very confident that was that he was going to get an opportunity to convert that. So, and we were kind of, you know, we needed a little bit of momentum. And so I just felt like it was the right time to, to make the call. Just took a lot of guts to call it from that part of the field, but Brian Kelly said they that's where they really needed to, just to really, for the sake of the element of surprise. Duke actually outgained Notre Dame 151 to 7 yards uh, in the first quarter. But Duke only managed three points, and that was kind of a that you know when you're getting that kind of yardage and you're playing that well in defense, and you're only up three to nothing after the quarter. You sort of saw the writing on the wall from that point. Uh, Notre Dame actually then outgained the Dukies 434 to 183 from there. The Bramlett fake punt set up a long touchdown drive. Notre Dame never trailed again in this game, even though it took them a while to pull away. I think what jumped out at me is the play of Kyron Williams. I was a little bit surprised he even got the start. We talked about that last show. I thought it was going to be Jafar Armstrong, the senior. It didn't happen, and now you see why Kyron Williams got the start. Really good game for him. Kind of a historic game, actually. Came the first Irish player to record 90 rushing yards and 90 receiving yards in the same game since Alan Pinkett did it all the way back in 1993. Uh, Williams finished with 112 yards rushing on 19 carries. Two receptions for 93 yards, including a 75 long that he took on a screen pass. Thought Williams looked good, and I also thought he looked like a workhorse type back. Yeah, it definitely looks like a three-down back. To me, he can get it done. He, he can run through the holes. He's going to catch the ball out of the backfield as well. He's shifty in space, but he's not afraid to run you over as well. Um, he was a really highly regarded back out of high school. I remember covering his recruitment. Uh, super excited to, to see what he can do for Notre Dame. He's got a lot of eligibility left, and as we all know, this year doesn't count, but we're going to be getting into that a little bit later. Yeah, I thought Jafar looked good catching the ball out of the backfield. Chris Tyree didn't really get a whole lot of work in the running game. He did look good on the kickoff return. Certainly you can see the explosiveness that we've been talking about for this incoming freshman. Brian Kelly was very impressed with Kyron Williams, though. He said there's still a lot to go, a long way to go for him, but it was a good starting point. And here's Brian. Well, he did something that hadn't been done here in 25 years. Um, so, I mean, from that perspective, uh, you know, receiving yards over 90, rushing yards over 90, pretty good opener for him. There's a lot that he can build off of this, um, certainly. I mean, I, I just think that for an opener, uh, that's that's a really good performance and something to build off of. Certainly, there's a number of uh, run reads and blitz pickups and things of that nature that um, he's going to get um, a great, uh, I think, learning uh, curve from. Um, but 
obviously a really good day. I think the one takeaway that I have, and Brian Kelly addressed it, we thought we would see, you know, they, they continue to just rotate through their front seven, defensive line and linebackers. A lot of talented players there. They've already played 11 defensive linemen. That's a nice luxury for any team and any coach to have. But they were really thin in their defensive backfield. Tariq Bracey and Nick McLeod hardly even came off the field. And Brian Kelly said they were even a little bit tired at the end of the game. He said he's going to try to get more players in there for USF. And I think that's going to be important, really not just for now, but for the longer term. I think so, too. And especially in a game like this, Todd, this is something you and I have talked about off the air, was that you know, with, with this season not counting against eligibility, if you're up by four scores against USF, throw the freshmen out there and see what they can do. This is a great opportunity for them to get some playing time and, and mitigate your uh, your risk of injury for your starters. So I think it's a win-win there. Because you never know with this COVID still looming over us. You never know. One week you might have your full roster. The next maybe the defensive backs get hit by a little something and you have to kind of dig deep into your depth chart. Brian Kelly was certainly asked about the slow start and what he thought. He was asked about Ian Book, who wasn't all that sharp, didn't really look to the, his receivers at all. Actually, they only targeted him 11 times from the entire game. His wide receivers, they had seven catches. Not a lot to talk about there. The bigger plays came on the screen passes. Most of his looks were to tight ends and running backs. So we kind of tried to pin down Brian Kelly, what he thought about sort of the level of play. And he ruffled his feathers a little bit. But we hadn't played spring ball or we didn't play in December. Look, it's it's difficult to duplicate game-like speed when you haven't had that uh, for such a long time. So... My expectations is that it was going to be a process and that we just had to be patient. And you saw we were patient. Um, we, we, we stuck with what we were doing, and then we had to make some adjustments at halftime. And I thought we, we looked like the team we should have in the second half after we made some adjustments and settled into some things. And I, th- I thought we took, took control of the game in the second half. You can't expect this team to come out and just run on all cylinders in an opening game. As the game progressed, they played a lot better. I thought the second half looked pretty good, so I think Brian Kelly's point's pretty good. Mason, I want to expand on this contract. Indeed, it was a three-year extension, as you mentioned, that will take him out to 2024. If indeed he lasts those three years, he will break Newt Rockney's longevity record of 13 years. That would give Brian Kelly 15 years. And Newt Rockney was here for 13, which is the longest of any Notre Dame coach. I think it's a good thing. Um, Brian Kelly's taken this program to unimaginable unimaginable places from considering where it was at in the early uh, 2000s, even into the late 2000s. Um, from 2010 on, Brian Kelly's really established Notre Dame as a, a powerhouse in college football again. And uh, I think it, it's definitely warranted, and he's going to go down as probably one of the most successful Notre Dame coaches and uh, one of the most legendary, actually. Yeah, he needs that trophy outside the stadium, though, still. <laughs> That's the one thing right. he's missing. But he's going to leave here if he fulfills this contract. He will leave here as the winningest and the losingest coach in Notre Dame history. By the numbers. Five. Five of Notre Dame's six home opponents this season amazingly beat Notre Dame last time they came to Notre Dame Stadium. Notre Dame took care of business with one already, Duke, which came in here in 2016 and beat Notre Dame. South Florida did it in 2011. Louisville, 2014. Clemson, 1979. And Syracuse, 2008. 46. 46 consecutive weeks that Notre Dame has been ranked in the AP Top 25. It's the seventh longest streak in the country behind Alabama, 196, Ohio State, 131, Clemson, 85, Oklahoma, 60, Penn State, 57, 
and Georgia 49. Okay, I want to dive into this eligibility thing, Mason. I want to get your really want to get your thoughts on this because I wrote a column for Blue and Gold Illustrated and blueandgold.com actually. You can find that when you're listening to the show. Uh, you'll find it on blueandgold.com. My biggest problem with this eligibility ruling, certainly it's a nice gesture. It's a well-intended gesture by the NCAA given all fall sports athletes an extra year of eligibility. My biggest problem is I just think it was made too prematurely. You make this decision in August. Most of these fall sports are carrying on as scheduled, as normal, with some exceptions. I get that. Most of the schedules have been tweaked. But if you're strictly talking about football, they're going to crown a national champion, it looks like. They're going to play a full season, it looks like. So I don't understand why these guys deserve an extra year of eligibility when the winter sports, the basketball, had their conference tournaments cut short and then didn't even play a national championship tournament. And yet they didn't get that eligibility. That's my first part of the problem, Mason. When you heard about this ruling, did you have any initial reaction to it? My initial reaction was was a happy one, I think, is a positive one. Um, I like I liked you said, I like the idea. It's good, it has good intentions. Um they want these players to to be able to still have their full college experience and be able to use all of their eligibility as if COVID-19 never happened. But yeah, there's always going to be a downside to it. And like you mentioned, with the winter sports and basketball really kind of getting screwed over in this in this situation, um, you would like to see some Notre Dame basketball players be able to play again and really return. Mike Bray would have loved it too. He likes to get old and stay old, but that's not going to happen. Uh, it, it, it is unfortunate, but uh, I think they made the best decision given the circumstances. It just sort of looks interesting to me, the roster makeup now, Mason. Notre Dame actually has 13 players who would have expired their eligibility this season. All 13 can come back. Now, will all 13 come back? Of course not. You know, If Notre Dame would win the national championship, they'd be allowed to field their whole team again next year. Even safety Sean Crawford could come back for a seventh year. (laughs) I don't know, it just seems a little much to me. Like I said, felt like the NCAA had great intentions, but I would have liked to have seen them wait. That's my only thing. Wait a little bit, see how this season would have unfolded, see what's going on with COVID instead of a knee-jerk reaction to make this decision in August. Because on top of the roster problems it's going to create for coaches, it's going to create a lot of financial mess too. With empty football stadiums, they're already being forced to slash staffs and salaries and sports programs. And now you're being asked to fund 10, 20 extra scholarships a year every year for four years. I think that's a big problem. I don't know how these coaches are going to work through this. I don't really know either. The The scholarship problem is always a headache in Notre Dame to begin with. Right. Transferring and, uh, or red shirts and stuff like that. And I don't know how you navigate that. You, you're, it's always a struggle to get down to the 85. And people always like to project the season before, you know, who's going to leave, what, whatever's going to happen. It's always a struggle to get down to 85, and especially in a year like this, it's going to be even more of a struggle. So I'll be I'll be interested to see not only how Notre Dame handles it, but other schools around the country as well, because Notre Dame's not the only school that struggles to get down to 85. Well, I don't think they'll have to get down to 85. I believe the NCAA will come out and expand rosters. Now, I don't think anybody knows what that's going to look like yet. Right. That will have to wait and see. You might even end up seeing rosters approaching or even surpassing 100 players, especially if you factor in your walk-ons. How this all works, I don't know. I think over time... What will happen, obviously, you'll have your early NFL entries. I think you'll get a gentle nudge out the door for some players as well, and just your sort of natural attrition. I think all of that will sort of help ease the numbers over time, but I think in the immediate it's going to be a problem. On top of that, Mason, something to really watch now. That transfer portal is already busier than ever, and it gets busier every single year. Think about it now, especially especially players from smaller schools, top players from smaller schools. Now they'll be able to enter the portal with two years of eligibility 
as a grad transfer instead of just the one. That portal is going to fill up big time. Rosters are going to look completely different because everybody's going to be plucking stuff from this portal. That, to me, is going to be another headache that coaches are going to have to uh, sift through. Although the big power teams, I think, love it. It's going to be those smaller schools that get poached. I think it's going to really affect negatively. I think so, potentially, too. And I'll be curious to see what Notre Dame does with uh, the transfers they just brought in. Nick McLeod, Isaiah Pryor, Ben Skoranek. What do you do with those guys? Uh, how, do you, how do you decide what to do with them? They're all older guys. They are all already have experience at other schools. And do they stick around when right. they decide that they want to go to the NFL? I don't know if any of them are NFL caliber necessarily. But uh, do they stick around and try to earn a degree from Notre Dame potentially? I don't know. It's a, it, there's so many layers to this. Or do they move on to a third school? <laughs> you know, right. You, you don't know because now they have more eligibility that they didn't expect to have. Being a grad student and now having two years of eligibility instead of just one, boy, that is going to be enticing for both the players and other schools to look into. All right, moving on to South Florida. Won their game last week. They played FCS, uh, Division II school. They beat the Citadel 27-6. They are coached by Jeff Scott, who spent the previous 12 years as an offensive assistant at Clemson. So he knows how to win, and he knows how to build a program, and I think he'll get this thing going. It's just going to take a little time. This Bulls program has been on the downslide. They were really good, Mason, in 16 and 17. Over those two seasons, they went 21-4, and four, and they were ranked in the final AP poll both of those years. Charlie Strong came in after his debacle at Texas, took over, and they've had a steady downslide ever since, falling to 7-6 in 2018 and 4-8 in 2019. This particular USF team is picked to finish 10th out of 11 teams in the American Athletic Conference. I think the top storyline is the return of Charlie Weiss Jr., obviously the son of Charlie Weiss Sr., a former Notre Dame coach here. This kid's on the fast track with his career. He's only 24 years old, so he's the youngest play caller in the country. He's the offensive coordinator, as I mentioned. His career has really skyrocketed here. Started under his dad as kind of a low-level assistant, graduate-type assistant at Kansas. Then he moved on to become an offensive assistant in Alabama. Then he went to the Atlanta Falcons as an offensive assistant. Took over as offensive coordinator in 18 and 19 at Florida Atlantic. And now first year at USF as the offensive coordinator. I remember him from back in the day. I remember him big time. I'm, I'm happy for him. I'm happy to see his career taking off. But boy, at 24, he's really making some headway in, in his coaching career, Mason. Definitely one of the brighter young stars potentially in uh, in college football. I'll be curious to see what he can do. Obviously, the he, this doesn't this team doesn't have the amount of talent that he's used to with the Alabamas and the Falcons of the world. But I'll be curious to see what he does, whether he gets creative enough to really give Notre Dame problems. We'll have to wait and see. He's still trying to get his footing here as well as a first-year coach on a new staff, a completely overhauled staff, obviously. He's always had a creative mind. He gets this from his dad. He's, he was always had the headset on when his dad was coaching. It actually ticked a lot of people off that his son would have a headset on during Notre Dame games. I don't know why people got bent out of shape over that. Just something to henpeck about, I suppose. But yeah, we'll see what he does. We'll see if he's able to get creative. I don't think he really has the talent to hang with Notre Dame. Irish are about a four-touchdown favorite, but we'll see if he has a couple tricks up his sleeve. Notre Dame thrives in these type of games, Mason. They have not lost at home to an unranked team going all the way back to 2016. That was that miserable 4-8 and eight season when Virginia Tech beat them. They also have a 19-game home winning streak over that same time span. 
So nothing to suggest that USF is going to pull some massive upset. I don't see it happening unless Notre Dame gives itself its own problems, like fumbling on the one and then letting USF take it back 99 yards, stuff like that. So just don't shoot yourself in the foot. Um, just be smart on offense, score some points, hopefully have the game settled by halftime then you know recruiting guys like me like like seeing the young guys play guys i covered so uh, <laughs> let's see the young guys play the second half and let me watch them you know it's funny you talked about shooting themselves in the foot let's revisit the first and only time these two teams played i was at this game it was in 2011 probably the most bizarre game i've ever covered in my time at notre dame and that's been quite a while i don't know if you remember mason but they had a two hour and ten minute lightning delay they had to evacuate the entire stadium. It was it was really bad. There were lightning flashes all over the place, so it was understandable. Yeah, two hour and ten minute delay. Notre Dame outgained South Florida five hundred and eight to two hundred and fifty four. So exactly doubled up South Florida's yard production. But as you mentioned earlier, Mason, Notre Dame lost the turnover battle five nothing, five oh, and then lost the game twenty three twenty. Probably, arguably, the worst loss of the Brian Kelly era. One of the biggest upsets in Notre Dame history. I think what really jumps out at me more than anything, the game started at 3.40 p.m. It ended at 9.40 p.m. So basically a six-hour game, which is the longest in school history. You don't have to remember that one, do you, Mason? I do, and I'm just thinking about it. I was 11 at the time, so uh, shout-out to the guys that were on the beat at the time covering Notre Dame football. You're out there for seven hours, then you got some post-game stuff to do. That, that makes for a long Saturday. Yeah, I think there were a lot of grumpy people there because, indeed, you're waiting to get your post-game stuff done, and that takes a long time as well. So that's why I will never forget that one. Looks like we're kind of up against it here a little bit, Mason, so let's get into some predictions here. I will start. This is the easiest game on Notre Dame's schedule. USF lost everybody it had from last year. Whole new coaching staff. I think Jeff Scott would eventually get him gone, but it's certainly not going to be in this game. It's probably not going to be this season. I have Notre Dame rolling in this one, making good on its slow start from last week and winning 52-7. to Todd, I'm right around that same area. Uh, I'll say 56-13. I think Notre Dame scored a little bit more, and then USF you know, tacks on a touchdown or a late field goal near the end when Notre Dame has its second and third stringers in. Yeah, a little garbage time touchdown there. Mason, anything else you wanted to add, my friend? I'll have a couple more articles coming out on blueandgold.com this week. I should be in the magazine here coming up soon. Uh, some really exciting stuff, some big-time recruiting news that's coming. Be sure to join our board there. Yeah, for sure. And we're running a nice promo on there right now, too. It's a 60-day free trial. Get on blueandgold.com and punch in the code IRIS60. Good time to pick that up. As Mason mentioned, a lot of great recruiting news, a lot of great historical news, a lot of great current news. Folks, you can reach him at MasonPlumber underscore. On Twitter, you can reach me at Todd Burlage. We'll catch up with you next week. Recap South Florida and look ahead to Wake Forest. Everybody have a great weekend. Thanks for listening to this exclusive presentation of 1380 The Fan, the Blue Gold Report. And be sure to download the latest edition of the show wherever you download podcasts or go to 1380thefan.com. Podcasts by Federated Media. Podcasts by Federated Media.